Hello and welcome to the Witch for the Post podcast. My name is Jason McEwen and I'm joined by Tim Penfold and Alex Scott to talk all things Bradford City. Eight games without a League 2 victory, 18th in the division, these continue to be difficult times for the Bantams. We'll assess recent performances and ponder whether the squad is good enough for the club's long-term ambitions. Three players in, Jake Young back from Swindon and seven departures. The January window was as eventful as ever. We'll assess the club's winter-window transfer activity and what it says about their prospects for the rest of the season. Alexander the Great or Alexander the Still Not Sure? Three months on from Graham Alexander's appointment as manager, we'll assess the impact he's having and if he will have the time and tools to bring success. The disconnect grows, with Valley Parade beginning to look bearer on match days and ongoing questions about club direction, we'll talk about the mood around the club and what supporters would like to see happen. And one game away from Wembley, as Bradford City reached the semi-finals of the Football League trophy, we'll discuss our love affair with the widely unloved competition by reflecting on our favourite Johnny Paint moments from over the years. Thank you as ever for your messages, we put some questions out on Twitter and we got a great reaction, we'll go through the best of some of those responses over the duration of the podcast. So welcome along Tim and Alex, um, Alex um, I'll start with you, I'm not saying that you're dreading recording this podcast but when we were having a bit of a planning session to talk about what we're going to record, you did ask in a really grumpy sounding way, do we have to talk about the current team? So <laughs> bearing that in mind, this is about current Bradford City affairs this podcast, um, do you want us to now avoid the topic of Bradford City in full time? Yeah, you know, and I think I was mentioning now there's a, you know, the the modern era of Bradford City, lots of stuff to talk about. Could also talk about the weather, could talk about the African Cup of Nations, could talk about gardening. Oh, did you see that dramatic finish in the uh, South Africa-Nigeria game? It's happening as we speak. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's, I can see it. Uh, yeah, well, I only saw up to the uh, end of normal time because I had to go record this. But, you know... You've been minimised on my window for the game, which is what I'm paying most attention to during this podcast. Uh, but yeah, you know, Jason, Fair. there's a whole world of things that we can be talking about that aren't Richie Smallwood Corners, and maybe we should explore it. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> maybe. So, I mean, Tim, I mean, we could go to doing match reports about your little one's nighttime feeds or mm-hmm. the nappy schedule. I'm thinking we could recall ourselves the width of a poo. I mean, possibly. Um, my... Little One's nappies are often very similar to Bradford City in that there's a load of mess at the back and you don't really don't want to have to deal with them a lot of the time. <laughs> and to be fair, last night he had an absolute nightmare and was up once an hour every hour. So I'm a bit tired today, less so than my wife who actually had to do the getting up with the kid because I had work. But um, yeah, still more enjoyable than watching at least two of the more recent home games. Yeah, fair enough. I think we can all agree on that. Just if you indulge me, Jace, one question before we have to talk about football. Are you at four months yet, Tim? No. Okay. He He's not yet at four months. So I'm not looking forward to that yeah. one. Don't Google anything about the word sleep regression. Just just pretend it doesn't exist. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, know, the, I know the concept, unfortunately. Um, I am somewhat dreading Maybe it. Maybe for the next podcast, when Tim hasn't slept in three weeks before we record, then we can get really into sort of width of a post after dark and get all the, the haunting areas of Tim's mind with his insomnia. No one wants to look there. <laughs> no. Well, as, as as me and Alex are parents of older children, we can smile knowingly about the four months that Tim is about to experience, and we'll talk about that next time. But <laughs> I'm afraid, Alex, we are going to have to talk about Bradford City matters and the current team. So, after Saturday's home draw with Wimbledon, Bradford City are now eight league games without a win, firmly saddled in mid-table. Tim, if I start with you, what do you make of their current form? It's really, really boring and not very good. <laughs> um 
other than that. <laughs> I'm not sure what there is to say about that. Um, I mean, there's a bit about Alexander later, but I'm somewhat mystified by his tactics, by his selections sometimes. I don't quite understand what his plan is a lot of the time. You know, we went in... You know, in the Football League trophy games, we found something that has worked. We have found McDonald in midfield alongside one of Smallwood or Gilead, um, so that you've got people, someone who can kick people and run around a bit, and someone who can actually pass. And two wide forwards either side of a big striker, whether it be Poynton, Chapman, or Jake Young, or whatever. And it's actually worked quite well in those games. And yet then... To because we had to force Smallwood back into the team for Saturday, we had to shuffle Gilead out to the wide forward position, and Gilead has done nothing as a wide forward pretty much in the entire time he's been at the club over three different spells. He has not got the end product um, to be useful in that position, and that's why we moved him deeper, where he can do the stuff he's good at and avoid the stuff he's not good at, like actually creating chances. Um so that was a complete waste of a Saturday, um, particularly second half against Wimbledon. We yeah, we had a good run. We had a really good run of six wins on the bounce. And then you look back at it and think, well, yeah, but we were playing two of the worst teams in the league in Doncaster and Forest Green. Two of the teams were literally containing children, um, you know, in the uh, Johnny Paint, Bristol Street, whatever trophy. And then, you know, Accrington, yep, we edged an even game. Gillingham was an impressive win. So you've got, you know, you look at it and think, "Mm, was it that good in the first place? And then since then, we've lost Jamie Walker, so absolutely nothing works now um, from a creative perspective because we've been desperately trying to work out whether, uh, well, thankfully also Davey's gone, but him or Clark Odwar could fit in as an attacking midfielder when we have genuinely a very good creator mostly sitting on the bench in Bobby Boynton and then when we do put on our small creative players like Poynton and Chapman and indeed go for Jake Young up front instead of Andy Cook we spend the entire uh, 45 minutes giving him neck ache and launching it over their heads I don't get it yeah I think that's right and um, Alex, before I come to you, um, there was a quote from Alexander on Saturday after after the game where he he was a bit more upbeat about the performance on the back of the win over Doncaster as well in the uh, Johnny Paint Trophy. And he says, I think we've been too direct at certain times and not given ourselves a chance to build our play. I feel we've got that balance best, much better in the last two games. I mean, from where you're standing, do you, does, that, does, that, does that pass the eye test in terms of what you're seeing? And, and do you think he's right about that? There were moments in the first half on Saturday where they were sort of all right. Um, and they it, they sort of became less all right as, as as they went on. I can I think it's an optimistic spin. I mean, the audience he's talking to is the his players, right? So I guess you know you're trying to get confidence in them, so you can understand why he, why he would say that. Um, I think they, you know, as Tim said, they the the run that they've now been on uh, eight games without a win has completely coincided with Walker getting injured. Yeah, it's just fatal. They they I didn't I didn't really appreciate how much of a how reliant they were on him and I think they've struggled as Tim said to play the way that they wanted to play and they were playing in the first few weeks of Alexander's reign without him and especially without Pattinson either who is the backup for him in the squad they don't either and the system clearly just doesn't work without them so you know there have been moments here or there there have been flashes where they've been okay um I think to say that they've got back 
onto the front foot the way that they want to be playing last week is probably a little bit generous i'd say but they're you know there have been flashes yeah i think the one thing for me the i mean we're coming to these podcasts and we talk about Bradford city games and performances and normally there's a bit there's a bit of relish from all three of us to reflect on recent games and to talk about the good things and the bad things of those games but i feel like with the games recently I just don't even want to talk about them. They were just that bad to watch, that boring, that inc- you know lack of incident. That it's 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 hard to go. Let's let's have a conversation about the Sulfur game. Let's talk about the Swindon game. No, thank you. I'd just rather never speak of them again a little bit. <laughs> they also merge into one, don't they? Because it's all like the yeah. last the last two or three. It's all the same. You know, it, it, it it's sort of really hard to pick out which game was which in your mind because they're all they're all the same. They are. And, and Tim, form guide-wise, we are at bottom of the form table for the last six games. Three points from a possible 18. And that has just, if there was any chance of promotion, it feels like that has, has just killed us, hasn't it, really? Yeah, and I think wasn't that meant to be our relatively easy stretch of games as well? It's definitely easier than the run that we've got. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, so we had... In fairness, Colchester, Doncaster got postponed, Salford and Swindon, they are all bottom half, all not brilliant, you know? Um, okay, Salford are on a decent run now, um, uh, but they were all not in particularly good form, and we've not really done anything in those games, and that doesn't look spectacular and then yeah with the fixtures coming up what have we got Wrexham next um oh yeah MK Dons uh Mike Williamson showing that he should have been appointed and then suddenly United bottom of the table we're doomed um and then yeah we got Barrow and Knotts after that in the league so we've got four promotion contenders oh no they're not bottom thank goodness Sutton aren't bottom Forest Green are um they might be bottom by the time we play them at that point we are doomed um, but as long as they're not bottom, we might stand a chance. They have also won a home game since we beat them, so that's that just sums up, does doesn't it really? I'd be duty bound to say, uh, as I've said countless times, our our team's pretty good to play without possession. There's a world in which, when the better teams that we play, that brings the better out. I think this team has a very strong, long period of playing to the level of their opposition. Uh, so the fact that the team's getting harder doesn't necessarily mean that they're they're going to lose every game, but. That is based on hope rather than any sort of recent evidence, I must admit. Yeah, and Alex, I mean, you've you've researched a really useful stat, which is about uh, Cook and Walker this season. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll use it. I'll get the, I'll give you the credit for that, obviously. Um, with Walker and Cook starting this season, we've got twenty eight points from sixteen games. Without either one or both of them in the team, we've we've only got nine points from the other fourteen games. And as we said, we've not won since Walker got injured. And on Saturday, Andy Cook gets dropped, which might be fair enough, but when you haven't got a backup option, perhaps it's a bit questionable. Do you see it now, you know, it's almost like this narrative now where we'll have Cook out for a few games, but ultimately he's going to have to come back to him, isn't he? Because he is so pivotal, even when he's not at his best. I mean, the team's sort of built around him, right? Um, and understandably, because of course you build a side around Andy Cook because he was the top scorer in the division. It's a very tough, it's not a criticism that teams were around him, but it is. It was interesting in the, in the media that Alexander said the other day, didn't he, that Cook came to him and said, I was dropped this time last year for a little bit which implies that he's at least sort of open to the idea of coming off the bench for a little bit just to get his sort of fitness back. And, you know, that did spark. He went on another rich vein of form on the back end. So um, there's an opportunity there because obviously Oliver was injured for quite a lot the first half of the season. So he didn't really get a break after he came back from his injury. And obviously now we've got rid of Oliver. So Cook hasn't really had a break since his injury. So giving him a spell at the team might bring him back sort of firing later on in February and for the rest of the season. So there's an opportunity there. And, you know, Jack Young, 
he's performed really well this year, and you know I think he's done he's done okay. He's looked pretty sharp since he's been back. I think I've been quite impressed with him actually. I think he looks a much better player, much more confident player than he was when he left, which is great. Um, I just give us a few weeks, knock that out of him. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the the challenge is about how do you how do you build a side to get the best out of out of young, and I think that the challenge again, if you don't have a number ten, you're comfortable with playing. You're really reliant on the service you're going to get to him and it's just really hard to get service to them if you're not getting anything through from behind him in midfield so that's the challenge um i'd be interested to see young and if you've got young and right and cook when they're all fit as a forward three with young and right coming in and cook as the focal point that's good I'm, i'm i'm like very optimistic about that especially if you put either walker or patterson behind them as sort of the most advanced midfielder with you know gillian and smaller gillian whoever sitting I think that's a positive. I'm like very optimistic about that as a structure. So um, I think they've been the the Walker and Smallwood injury, uh, the Walker and um, Patterson injuries. Uh, I think are just killers. Uh, as you said, the stat we basically go from this year, and you know I don't totally believe the stat. If you know what I mean, I don't think it's necessarily causal. It's sort of a bit coincidental. But when Cook and Walker have been playing and starting games, we've been a promotion side. When they haven't, we've been the worst side of the division. And I'm surprised that Walker has had that much of an impact. That sort of impact wasn't there last year, but we we have been completely reliant on him this year. Um, so it's a real shame he's going to be out. It looks like he's going to be out for a little a little bit further. So um, I think it's they're, they're going to find it really challenging over that over that stretch. And I think they're going to have to think about, as Tim was saying, are there other ways that we can try and structure the team to get better service into Young. Yeah, totally agree with that. I think for me this season, Walker has, has been a lot better. Yeah. And he's just very brave. And I think there's been times when it's been really difficult for the team They've all been struggling a little bit hiding, but he's never been like that. He's always been willing for the ball, always happy to try things, and he's been very influential. And I do hope, injury problems aside now, that you know, he's, as a player there, I think we should look to probably retain in the summer because um, I think he's got a lot to offer. And he's out of contract, isn't he? So we'd have to sort of assert yeah. him. But I think they definitely they definitely should. The one thing I've been thinking, and again, I'm sort of more, I'm more optimistic than Tim. Um, it pr- probably is a result of expectations, right? But there have been times where... They were pretty good in the Alexander, especially at the start. And there were spells, as I say. There was a bit on Saturday, which I thought was quite positive. Um, and they sort of coincide with when they're on the front foot out of possession and they're pressing. And I don't think Gilead worked in a more advanced position, but the benefit of having Gilead in a more advanced position, he can lead that press. He can be one of the ones to push. The challenge that they've got, and when they've had Walker up there, Walker can do that. Um, and Walker is a good presser, especially from when he's in the forward line. He can start the trick. He can be the one to trigger the press, and it brings the whole midfield forward which is when they're at their best and I think is positive. And I think over that first spell, they were really good out of possession because they were pressing high and they were winning the ball high up the field. The challenge we have is if that's the structure we want to build, and I'm you know, I'm pro that, I think that's positive, and I think they have some of the personnel that will help them do that. I don't think it's Young's game, certainly not Cook's game. And if you don't have Walker there to lead that press and you don't have Gilead in an advanced position, there's no one else who can do it. We're not built like that. So we're a, a passive team out of possession. And when you're passive and you're not, you're just booting the ball long. You're never winning it back. You know, you just, nothing happens. And that's the sort of cycle that it feels like that we're in, that we're not capable of playing out of possession the way that we want. And, you know, Alexander's not an idiot. He's not going to be telling them. I don't think their strategy is going to be Kieran Clark, Kieran Kelly, right? Whenever you get it, just bang it long in the channel to their centre-half. For, <laughs> for that's clearly not what they're saying. I can, I think you can you can see what they're trying to do, that the, the big change between him and Hughes has been, let's not take risks in defence. So you can tell by the goal kicks now all really long. When the defenders get it, if they're under pressure, just getting rid of it. Like, and, you know, at the start of the season, they were making lots of mistakes, causing goals. And, you know, that I can understand that. But it feels like they're not being brave enough in when Kelly's got it and he's under a little bit of pressure. He can find McDonald. Like, find McDonald. He's there. McDonald could do something with it and move them forward. But they're not. That's the step that's missing. So 
I think with a bit more positivity and a bit more assertiveness maybe in those the wide centre-halves in particular to try and just get the ball to McDonald and move it forward progressively rather than just banging it and they can get a bit more intensity out of possession I think that I think there's positives there um they're just not finding it at the moment yeah absolutely I think that's completely spot on and on that Tim you know if, if there is an element of you know the pressing high press isn't going to work right now because of the personnel because it's not Cook's game it's not Young's game then there is a bit more of can you get some quality in the central midfield? And you know, you wrote a match report for the the Doncaster win, all really praising McDonald for the impact he had that night. Obviously, he kept his place in the team on Saturday, but as you say, perhaps with the impact of keeping Smallwood there negated that a little bit. But is the future few at this moment in time certainly in the short term that you get McDonald in that team, you get him firing, and and do we need to make some more ruthless changes around that to get the best out of McDonald? I mean, fundamentally, you've got to have a central midfielder who can pass. Otherwise, you know, Alex's point of Kieran Kelly gets the ball, if he's playing it to Smallwood, then in the Hughes team, he was getting the ball straight back with a short pass. In the Alexander team, the ball's getting hammered long round into the channels for someone to chase, and there is no middle ground. Um, whereas McDonald, against Doncaster, he'd be, he was able to just take a touch, speed things up, slow things down a bit. You know, he could actually set the tempo and change the tempo. And that is really important if you want to be a possession team. He's less good off the ball than either Gilead or Smallwood. And I'm not a huge fan of going McDonald and Smallwood in the centre because I think at that point you've got two very deep midfielders. I prefer to have Gilead's energy alongside him. Um, and that probably means Smallwood misses out. Um, but I think you start with, I've got to get someone in the base of midfield who can actually pass, because otherwise it's just going to get hammered along every single time. And from there, you've got to get McDonald, because that's the only midfielder we have who meets the description, and then work out the rest of it from there. It sort of takes you a bit, a bit, back, a bit back to the Elliot Watt thing, though, doesn't it? That if you're going to do that, you've got yeah. to like, use him, because otherwise he's pointless. And so there's the... I, I totally... Yeah, if you play Adam's ball yeah. with um, McDonald, it's going to be a waste of time. Yeah. You've got to actually give him the chance to play. Um, but, you know, McDonald very much is um, a slower, older, can only really play for 75 minutes, Elliot Watt. He did say, didn't he, after... Was it the Doncaster game? Was that the first game where Alexander was up in the stands? Uh, yeah. Where right, he, yeah. he was saying he was a joy to behold, didn't he? I think was his thing, which I thought was, you know, a little bit much. But you can it's positive, right? So, I mean, he is clearly... And he started playing a bit more. And I think he was mentioning his fitness wasn't where he wanted it to be because obviously he had to, like, manage for six weeks. So uh, he's now got his fitness back up. But you think he should be, I think, on performance at least, one of the first names on the team sheet. The challenge is, as Tim says, that if you're playing with Smallwood, you, you then can't really be high-pressing because neither of them are going to do it. So... You you either have a dissonant, massive gap between the midfield and your, and your attack, or it just drags everyone backwards and makes them more passive. Which, again, it's a bit of the team. The team is a bit of a Rubik's cube. It's like a jigsaw where it just doesn't really. You've, you've not got enough of anything really um, to make a system that works. Which is a bit a bit of the challenge that he's working through. I guess trying to work out the style of play. But you know, there's there's bits of it which are there are encouraging. There's just not as not as many as you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on going back towards more the defensive side of things, and, and certainly a reason to be cheerful this season, probably runaway player of the year is Brad Halliday, who's having a really good season and playing very well. Um, and an interesting tweet we got from a, a Jimmy who said, um, once Oyagoki is fit, I'd be tempted to stick, to stick Brad Halliday in midfield. He's doing the work of three players at the moment. I think that, that last point is really 
I've, I've noticed that a lot. I think we're asking him to do too much at the moment in the team, and he is almost having to play as in two positions. But an interesting point, is it, to the idea to bring Halliday further forward? Is that something you could see could potentially work? Honestly, I'd want to move him further back. Um, he is a good at fullback and decent going forward. He progresses the ball reasonably well. He can cross. He can't really take on a man one-on-one. Um, that's his big weakness as a wing-back. Um, but I'd be very tempted because, I mean, Alex got close to this earlier when he was saying, you know, you've got Cook, you've got Young, you've got Wright, and if you then play Walker, at that point you have to play a back four yeah. because otherwise you're playing um, one holding mid behind all of those. And we saw how that worked earlier in the season when we tried it with, um, what was it, Odwar, Smith, Cook, and Patterson. Um, or something like that. So I'd be very tempted to say that, I mean, four-two-three-one is probably still the best option for this team, as long as you can get the number 10 right. And whether you're, well, with you doing a three behind the striker, you've got options there. Even if Walker isn't fit, you've got Chapman, you've got Poynton, you've got Young, you've got Wright. You can rotate those around a bit and see what combination works. And then you have just one striker. I mean, there's Kavner as well, actually, you could fit in there, the new guy. Um, and then you've got, you know, Cook up top. And that is, in fairness, where I think I'd have gone for a while. Um, but I'm not sure if that's because I don't think we have the wing-back personnel, or because I think I want to get more of the uh, uh, skillful, creative players in the team, the likes of Wright and Poynton and Chapman, and get more of them in the team and let them actually create. That's really interesting that. Um, and we'll talk about some of those problems in a little bit when we come into the January mo- uh, thing in terms of is there an argument we should have got a number 10 in? Is there a bag we should have done better with the wing-backs? But just to fin- finish on the current team, um, Alex, Alex, for now, um, centre-back-wise, obviously, as, as Tim's saying there, we, sh- we ideally should move to a 4-2-3-1. Right now, we're playing three at the back. We've got five centre-halves and... The chopping and changing has been very interesting over the last month. Um, it does, you do get the feeling Provis doesn't quite know his best back three at this moment in time, and you keep thinking that there's a player who does miss out, that fu- their future the club potentially is in question as well, and we've almost done merry-go-round with Sam Stubbs and Matty Platt. But right now, as we are now, we had um, we had um, Platt, we had... Um, who do we have on Saturday? We had Platt, we had K- Kelly, and we had... Tompkinson, that's it, at the back. We've forgotten the game already, Jay. Exactly, that's right. Do you, do you see that as our best centre-back partnership as a, as a, as a, as a, in terms of the right people in the right positions, or do you think he'd still want to swap that around? If you're playing a, if you're playing a three, I think that's right. I think Kelly's good. I think Kelly's been good this year on the, the left-hand side of a three. I think Tompkinson's really come on. I think he's been he's had a really sort of positive six weeks. Um, even as the size forms waned, I think he's been good, and he adds a bit more mobility back there. And if you compare him to the alternatives of the sort of right-sided centre-half, I think he's. I think he's good. I think he's a good option, uh, but then you basically got three of them vying for one place in the center, and you know between Platt and Stubbs, I think it's kind of marginal. I don't. I don't really have any, many strong opinions. I think Platt. I can't. I kind of like Platt. I think he's playing well, so you just leave it. I think. Um, I think both of them are probably a step up on, on Ash Taylor, who's a, looked a bit more, um, a bit more limited than the other two. Um, but as a, as a three, I think they've. I think they've. they've been That's playing. being kind. <laughs> Being very kind to Taylor, I'm trying to think of the sort of place where you where this they could only be one step up on him, you know. I think generally, I think that back three sort of works, and I think is positive. I think ideally, as Tim says, my the question is, it reminds me a lot of when um, the McCall was here before he got sacked in the final time, 
where we weren't creating enough and his times were always quite offensive but he we weren't scoring enough goals so he just threw everything for, he couldn't get the balance between attack and defense right and he ended up throwing yep. so much before the back the back defense collapsed and that and that, that was all over him because he just couldn't find the balance we just weren't taking the chances it's a bit, we had to create so many chances to score a goal that he ended up over attacking and, and lost it at the back it feels like sort of the opposite here where we've been pretty good defensively we've always been pretty good defensively we were under Hughes we were a completely different style under Alexander we're still very good defensively um, but I think in the pursuit of restricting opposition's chances which we are good at that is a that is a positive we are good at that um, we have to have so many people back to make that work that we just don't create enough and you know even with good finishes we have good finishes in the team with Cook and, Cook and Young um, or at least you know above average that, that you would have for their position we're just not we don't create anywhere near enough and the only way you're going to create more I think is either you change it you just got to get an extra person forward you take one centre half out and you put him at number 10 you know you take Tomkinson or Kelly or whoever take one of them out put in Chapman at 10 and I think you'll create more and I think that's the sort of shift in the balance that I would do were I him but I can see why he's not doing that because we've been pretty good defensively so that's sort of not really the problem if you can make it work with the few attackers that we do have then that's a that's a that's a really successful team potentially if you can unlock it so I can see why he's persisting with it for now but feels like to me it's just a little bit too too many people too much focus on the defense I think it reminds me quite a bit of sort of late Boya yeah where we'd switch to the back three and it was really a back five. And then you had, you know, a lot of the time it was two deep midfielders and then three forwards. And it ended up a lot of the time looking like a seven, three. Yeah. yeah, exactly that. And I think this is where the problem lies, that we do create the odd half chance, but we're so reliant on taking that odd half chance because the margins are so narrow. And then when we don't take them, we obviously struggle, and I think we saw evidence on Saturday. It didn't really create much, but Cook had a decent chance, um, and it's the same in the other home games as well, where you know Wright came through against Salford, and that was kind of it. That's all you create, and if you only create a few chances, you're never going to score enough goals, unfortunately. So, anyway, we put the question out on Twitter in terms of what people make of recent performances. Uh, understandably, wasn't a great response in terms of positivity. Mike Scott says abysmal home form continues. Two wins since August. I don't think our players have the mental strength to cope with playing at Valley Parade. Michael Brett says, found the groove, then Walker's injury has scuppered form and style massively. Look bereft of ideas going forward. Almost deja vu, albeit without possession from the latter part of Hughes' tenure. Fabian says, very poor for the standard of player we have. A lot of these players were here last season when we were in and around the playoffs all season. A big drop-off in performances. Sam says, much better in the last two games after the long ball style went stale, stale very quickly. I think we looked much better without Cook on Saturday, but the problems remain. We don't create chances and we don't score goals. Defence is much better with Platt, Kelly and Tompkinson as a free. Uh, Stephen Conroy says, uninspiring. I've seen worse over the years, but there's nothing to get excited about. At times, the team selections have been a bit baffling. Ian Heming says, dull and uninspiring. Mark Davis says, abysmal, and that's the facts because we're bottom of the points per game form table. We're struggling to adapt to a style that is the polar opposite of Hughes' ball. Seems to suit our weaker players, i.e. the hoof, whilst bypassing our better ball-playing ball ones. It's numbing and joyless to watch right now. Uh, and Danny says, not been to that many games due to work or sheer disinterest in going. I have not missed it one bit when I have caught the last half hour of I follow watch ma- or watch match reports, um, red match, sorry, watch matches. We need to perform, need performance levels to, to increase to start with. Give 110%, go and look like you want to win. Um, anyway, moving on to January and carrying on the discussion about the um, the squad, um, I think just before we move into talking about the activity, just worth reflecting on some quotes from Alexander back in December when he talked about the ambitions for the January transfer window. And he said then, I can be certain we won't be going into January looking to sign or recruit four or five players from other clubs. 
I don't think that's the scenario. And on the outgoings, competition is healthy for any football club, but you don't want players that are f- too far away from the starting lineup that are demotivated and finding it difficult. We have to address that in January, but for now, everyone's got the opportunity to play. Now, I just feel like that is kind of what played out, really. We obviously didn't sign that many players over the window. There was a need to try and or a desire to trim the squad, which happened to an extent. Props not as much as we all expected. And I do wonder on that one, Tim, it was almost that players who felt like they were on the way out of the club, like the Harry Chapmans and Sam Stubbs, kind of proved themselves over the month and perhaps kept the, kept their Bradford City career alive a little bit by their performances, which then perhaps maybe changed some of Alexander's thinking. And rather than wholesale massive reductions in the squad, he's more trimmed the sides a little bit and still has a fairly large squad. Yeah, I think that Derby game was key because uh, it gave the fringe players a chance and, you know, Stubbs... Chapman, McDonald all did pretty well and forced their way back into contention. Um, I think some of the other thing here is there'll be some players that it's just quite difficult to shift. Uh, it took us ages to get rid of Tullock because we didn't have a, a termination clause in his, in his loan. Um, I can't imagine that, say, Matty Darbish is particularly high on Alexander's list of players that he wants to keep, but no one's taking his contract over at this point, not at his age. And yeah, so at that point, we're, you know, we've had to shift out some other players. You know, we've got someone to take Otter Davy, that's good. We've got someone to take Oliver's, you know, a chunk of Oliver's wages, although I'm a little bit disappointed that we haven't got another big striker in to replace him, considering the style of football we're trying to play at the moment. And yeah, we've been able to shift some players out. And then, of course, the big departure was Lewis as well. Um, and he has not had a spectacular time at Carlisle so far. Um, just looking at, I mean, for this season for us, he had a save percentage of something like 58%. And the Opta modelling suggested that he'd let in about five more goals than he should have done due compared to the expected goals number. At Carlisle, those numbers are very similar, and he's already over two goals sort of in deficit to what he should have saved. And so, sort of, Lewis, if it's the Harry Lewis of last season, then we've been, we've been robbed at 175000 or so. If they get the Harry Lewis of this season, then I think we've got a very good deal. Yeah, I totally agree about that. And we spoke quite a lot about Lewis last time, as well as him obviously departing to Carlisle. We, we saw Asa Davy go to Forest Green. Oliver, as I mentioned, gone to loan loan to Stevenage for the rest of the season. Afoko has gone back to Aston Villa. Tulloch went to West Brom, has been released and has now rocked up somewhere else in non-league, I believe. Ryan Woking. E- that's it, yeah, Woking, yeah. Um, Ryan East has gone on a permanent deal to Rochdale. And Freddie Jeffries has gone on loan to Elgin City. Um, yeah, probably Alex, probably the most interesting ones there are Oliver and Osterdebe to talk about. Um, fair to say, neither player fulfilled their potential, I think, over that period. Oliver, obviously, Oliver is still our player, and the other day won 66% of his headers, apparently, in, the, in Stevenage uh, victory, um, which probably is something we were missing when we are suddenly punting long balls up to Jake Young. Um, do you see that being the end for Oliver, or do you think it's more he's got an opportunity again next season? I mean, he's under contract for next year, right? So we'll, it's something I'll have yep. to change if, if, if he's not back. Um, so we've got him for another year after this. Is it, we've, been, we've been through this a lot. Our entire strategy is signing players for the next guy. We reach the next guy with Oliver. We finally play a style of play that suits him and we bloody loan him out. Um, <laughs> finally, we finally playing the style for him because we've waited long enough. 
and then we don't even we don't even use it. Mad, maddening. <laughs> He'd actually be really good. He would have been really good to start on Saturday. You know, up front with oh, the front absolutely. That would have been a really good, really good backup to have. Um, and they don't use him. Baffling. Um, yeah, frustrating. I suspect he'll have a chance next year because, as Tim said, you know, he's on a three-year contract. When we signed him, we signed him from the division above. He's going to be on decent money. Um, you know, perhaps he can make a niche. If he does well at Stevenage, they might keep him around or they might try and take over the contract. You know, might put himself in the shot window. But to be honest, you'd expect he'll be back. But, you know, for the next manager, he might he might play their style. Or the manager after that. Yes. At some point, he's going to be absolutely amazing for us, isn't it? We're just waiting for that moment to happen. Probably the last month of his three-year deal. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, Tim... Uh, Is that three or four managers' time? <laughs> Good point. Um, Tim, Afoka and Tullock, not a lot to say about them, really. Other than, I just think, it just feels like damning of our recruitment, doesn't it? Because they just they just felt like random punts, didn't they? And it's worked out that way. And he, and I think Lee Mills made the point on Twitter, um, who's responsible for signing these players and who, where's the accountability? Because it just feels we just sign, continually sign players like this who are just never up to it. It felt like we were scrambling around for wide players at the end yeah. of the window. It, and we didn't need both of them. That was the confusing thing. We needed a big man to cover Cook because he was injured at that point and so was Oliver. And we needed a winger. And we signed two wide players and ended up with a Foker up front for a couple of games, which was bizarre. Um, so yeah, that really didn't work. I mean, Tulloch showed some flashes. He had a good game against Newport and then just faded out of contention and then Alexander has not given him the slightest chance, which, you know, fair enough, he's on loan. There's no real point at that point if you think you've got other options. A Foker had a couple of moments uh, sort of in game where he thought he might actually have something here but he was nowhere near ready for league football yet one of those players where if he was our player I'd be saying give him some minutes off the bench here and there because he's a lone player unless they are as good as or better than what you already have there's no point in actually playing them you may as well play your own um, so yeah bit of a waste of a signing there one of the interesting things Chase, I w- I was watching. Uh, I was watching last night. So we're recording this Wednesday night. Last night, Plymouth were playing Leeds. So I was watching a. Uh, I was watching a game around here with the lad down the road who's a Plymouth fan, and they was they were saying how they've got because they've done really well with like Villa Lonies in the past. They like just got another Villa Lonies centre half who's got like, incredibly highly rated, and like they've got this reputation, especially now they've got like a former England youth manager that they're getting a lot of young players in because Premier League clubs are like willing to send them there because they know they're going to get looked after and play a good style and they're going to get a get a good opportunity to, and develop. I think they've got another from Tottenham as well. Um, We've done the exact opposite of that. Like, if I was a Premier League club, if I was, you know, a Foka came from Villa, right? And he came in, we played yeah. him up front in a makeshift once and then gave him a couple of other princes here and there and then just banished him. Why am why ever sending a young player here again? Like, what what am I going to get for it? You know, and there's a, there is a bit of a quid pro quo here. As Tim says, he's right, you know, because you've got to focus on your own assets. But you obviously need, if you, you're going to be reliant on loans into the future, we're, we're a type of club who's always going to be, you know, looking to try and get loans here and there to, to fill in. You kind of want to build a reputation of being a good place to send young players, um, and I think we've lost. I think we've lost a, where we once had a good reputation for that. I think under Parkinson, you, know, you can see we've got good loanees and progress them well and continue to get good loanees. Um, that re- that that reputation has certainly gone. I think with the two that we had this year. Yeah, I think that's a spot, and it's a really important point because I've, you know I've I've experienced the people speaking to people in football before that that is how loan loan deals often work. You know, clubs. You know they want to send her out to to lower league clubs to where they know they're going to get game time and be well looked after, and you build reputations and good relationships through that. And you could argue with 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 um, Afoka, we 
we probably got him because of how well Tarrant Wright did the year before and how well we looked after him. The Villa think, oh, well, we'll send another one out there, but then then we don't necessarily treat him well and he doesn't have a good experience, and then that reputation goes again. And you think about the Reese Burke when he came from West Ham, and then we got um, Josh Cullen soon after that, again, obviously, because, again, they knew we'd look after him. And you're right, we are, with every kind of failed loney like that, who just comes here and doesn't do that well, um, we've had plenty of the last few years, it just doesn't help our reputation at all, is it? And it just think question why to sign him in the first place. Um, on a more positive note though Alex Jake Young has stayed I know mean, we talked about his performances so far but worth reflecting that we spent a lot of January everyone did thinking no chance we're going to keep him he'll be off um, you know the club will you know, arguably show no ambition and just take whatever money they can get for him but he's still here and we've turned down good offers for him yeah and it's positive you know I like Jake Young he's a good player and as I say I've sort of been really impressed with him um, since he's been in he hasn't, he hasn't scored yet but he's got really bright really sort of lively and I think he's, he's a good player you know we've got him in the contract for a long period. I think one of the things I was reflecting on the last time that the, if you if you piece back everything that Alexander said, you know, there's a world in which actually the club have been pretty straight the entire time. Just like, look, he was injured. Look, you know, we weren't actively trying to sell him. You know, we'll obviously listen to offers, but you know, we're not trying to sell him. He's fit. He starts playing. Um, and there's a, there's a world in which actually you take them at literally their word and the way it played out is sort of in line with that, um, which is something I've reflected on anyway in that actually, you know, perhaps there are times at which you can we should all try and, you know, do better to take them at face value. I'm not, I'm not sure I entirely believe that, but you know, to, to be to be to be generous. I mean, it, it had played out the way that they that they said it was, um, and you know, we've managed to even bring in a new asset, which will, which will come on to come on to in it, which is also positive. So, um, I think Young Young's a good player. We should find a way to build the side around him in the same way that the side is currently built around Cook, and Cook's got another, you know, he's got a long time on his contract. So the the, the team is always going to be built around Cook for for, for a prolonged period, but. We've got Young in the contract as well. Finding a way to get Cook and Young working together and in the same team should be like oper- that. That is like task number one for the rest of the season, I think. For for Alexander, you've got both of them for a long time. You've also got Smith for a long time, but you know you've got those two certainly should be in your starting eleven in August. So, what is the structure that you need to build around those two as a as a, as a forward pairing? And then I think you're onto something. That, that that that's where I would start anyway for the rest of the season. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, moving on to incomings, we've had three players come into the club fresh. Uh, Sam Walker, who's uh, replaced Harry, Harry Lewis. Tarrant Wright has returned on loan from Aston Villa to the end of the season. And Callum Kavanagh has arrived from Middlesbrough on a two-and-a-half-year deal. Not much new to say about Wright, especially he's been injured, so we won't talk about him. But let's talk about Sam Walker and Callum Kavanagh uh, briefly. I'll give it to each of you. So, Tim, if I'll ask you about Sam Walker, because uh, you don't seem too impressed so far. There's just a couple of things that are worrying me, mostly about his speed off his line and his command of his box. Um, and other than that, you know, it's very early to judge, you know. It might be that he's a sort of keeper who's fairly unflashy on those things, but doesn't make many mistakes or something like that. And that balances out for the fact that he's not as spectacular as Lewis was at his best. But yeah, it'll be one that's interesting to see because we've got, got him for 18 months, haven't we? you could possibly think that's an area where we'd be looking to sign a new number one in the summer and put him on the bench instead if Doyle was considering sort of whether he wanted to continue as a player. He's sort of very happy. He's happily in that middle ground, isn't he, where you'd you'd probably be all right if he was your main keeper last year. Like, I'm, I'm more positive than Tim. I've been sort of relatively impressed. And if you think about it, he's conceded a few goals so far, but I don't think any have really been his fault. Whereas compared to his predecessor, like there were lots of games this year where Harry Lewis was making sort of errors leading to goal stat was quite high, where I don't think Walker's had any yet, which is which is quite positive. His distribution is obviously nowhere as good as Lewis's, but you know that's fine as we we talked about before. So I'm more positive about him generally, um, but he's in that nice spot where 
if you went with him as your starter next year, it's probably fine. If you wanted to replace him, it's also probably fine. You're not, you know, it's not, you're not paying him an extortionate salary, probably. Same, we just got him basically off the street or from Charlton Reserves. You know, he's not going to be costing an arm and a leg, so um, it's positive. He gives you a bit of flexibility in the summer, but he's got, you know, he's got he's got three months to sort of prove himself, and you know, I think he's fine, isn't he? He's all right. Yeah, um, and then we signed Callum Kavanagh, who is twenty-year-old uh, forward from Middlesbrough, very highly rated at the Riverside, and has done well in the youth teams and is well thought of there. Has had a couple of loan spells um, at Harrogate Town two seasons ago and Newport County last season. Neither of them particularly spectacular, but obviously was quite a young age. Um, yeah, well, I'll sit with you, Alex. This one first. Um, feels like another wide forward in an area where we're heavily stopped at this moment in time. Is it much more of a one for the future, this one, rather than someone you'd you'd see immediately doing particularly well. Well, they've certainly bought. They've got him on a, a pretty long contract, right? And he's a young player that they're going to invest in. He's clearly going to be in the squad next year. Probably signals that some of the people who are currently in the squad in that position may not be. Um, but you know, it's positive. He's got a really good youth record. Um, really, as you say, really highly thought of. His dad, I'm aware of. You know, Graham Kavanagh is like a good good player. You know, he was probably absolutely. He must have played in the same team somewhere as Alexander or on the way. Or they must have. They they were certainly peers, weren't they? Certainly. So. I'm sure that's. I'm sure having Alexander has helped with that, and also he was born in Middlesbrough, so Stephen Jett knows who he is. So that's positive. <laughs> He's got another one to add to our northeast contingent. They can all get in the Smallwoods People Carrier on the way in in the morning. So, that's good. <laughs> um, so he ticks all the boxes really on that on that basis. But yeah, he's quite positive. And one of the things that we were saying last time that I was frustrated about with selling Lewis is that you know you you develop an asset, you you sell him, you make the money, and you just pay back a deficit, and that's really depressing. We've actually taken some of that money to spend on another asset, which is positive. That's what you want them to be doing. He's a young player. There's an opportunity to make him better. He's also a, a sort of premium type player. You know, if he is a good inside forward, uh, wide forward, centre forward who's scoring goals at this level, you can sell those players for profits. That is a good place to invest your money. And if you would you rather give him the contract rather than Harry Lewis a contract? You know, I, I'm, that makes sense. That makes sense. So strategically, I think that makes sense. We do have a lot of players in that position. And like trying to think of our forward line next year, you know, there's at least four. Um, centre forwards are going to be on the contract next year probably a bit more than that so there's probably have to be some trimming to, to make the squad around him but you know he looked all I mean we only seen him for like 20 minutes but you know he looked alright and you know he's a, he's a good prospect you know so there is, it, these are the types of punts that I think is good for them to be taking if you know what I mean to get a young player in who's ours got him for a bit he's got a good sort of pedigree good track record um, and let's see if there's something there you know it's a good it's a, it's, it's a good way for them to be investing the Lewis money I think I think if you're trading Lewis and Ostavi or whatever taking them out to bring in Walker and Kavanagh. I think that's like decent business, I think, generally. Yeah. Um, just found a question on window for you then, Tim. Um, looking at activity overall and bearing in mind City are seven points off the playoffs, is it just a bit of a secret quietly we're writing off the season because you've probably areas like left wing back, which we haven't really talked about yet, that feel like they could have been addressed and should have been addressed and number 10 situation as well. What do you make of it? I mean... What I was looking for, the first priority when everyone said, you know, what do we want from the window, was left wing back to upgrade. And Lewis Richards is all right. He brings the ball forward very well. He's not got much of an end product that needs to be worked on. Liam Reidhardt can't play wing back. He just can't. He's not got the legs for it. And when he was playing at wing back, he was either a long way forward, which meant that he could cross, but there was this massive gap between him and Kelly, and Crawley especially exploited that or was too far back to have any sort of impact on the game going forward. He couldn't do both roles. Um, so not strengthening there was a bit of a worry for me. And the other place that I'm concerned about is shifting Oliver out, 
fine. You know, very expensive player to be a backup, really. You know, Andy Cook's taken the big striker role and you can't play them together. But we do need another big striker at that point because we play direct football. And if Cook's unavailable, we're launching it at Young's head and that doesn't work. Um, So, you know, and we need to be able to give Cook a breather because otherwise you burn him out, which we have learnt this season, and we learnt it two seasons ago, and we actually did pretty well at that last season when we could rotate him with Oliver. So having someone in who's basically doing the role that Oliver does, but cheaper, that would have been a pretty smart bit of business. So, yeah, I just get the feeling that the big focus for the rest of the season is almost entirely on that cup semi-final against Wickham, and that's about it, because I think we're not getting in the playoffs. No, and I think that's right. But it's about expectations, right? I mean, I think, you know, they could have signed anyone. That, you know, they're probably not getting their players from from here. But, the, you know, you've got Richards, who's 21, right? You Just give him a run. You know, you just see see what he's got. This is a good opportunity. We're not really going anywhere, so you might as well give him a chance. Um, and, you know, they didn't strengthen central midfield. We've still only got three central midfielders that, you know, none of them really do any of the things that you would... There's certainly, like, skill sets missing. Um which is frustrating, but you're obviously they're not trying to get promoted. So, you know, there's no point investing money if you can't find a good prospect that you want to invest in, you know, just leave it to the summer and we'll, it'll work it out when you've got a bit more budget. But on the left back, you know, giving, giving Lewis Richards a run, that's what they should be doing, you know, at this point. See what he's got. You know, if he, you know, has a good two months, he might get better and he's starting for you next year. That's positive, isn't it? Um, so I think I can sort of understand why they didn't do that. And on, and on Oliver, I, I, I tend to agree. But there is one solution to that that isn't, isn't doing that to me, which is just don't bang it long to Jake Young. You don't have to bang it long <laughs> to Jake Young. There is a there is a, another alternative that if they were if they were so mad to to pursue it. But yeah, I, I do know what you mean. Okay, uh, we asked a question on Twitter to ask people um, out of ten what they give marks for uh, City's January transfer window activity. Sean Moore says five out of ten was expecting little to change and nothing much has. Squad not much smaller than it was in December, but right young um, adds some real quality. Kavanagh probably one ideally for next season, not this one. Key Bruce says two. Weaker in goal, but should be stronger in attack with Young, Kavanaugh and Wright replacing Osadebe and Oliver. Uh, John F. also says two. Shifted for some Deadwood, but replaced with the usual Bradford City low-cost options. Wright already out injured. Walker looks solid enough. Lad from Borough may or may not turn out to be okay. Who knows? Squad's still not Mina or Lena. Adam gave it three out of ten. Lost our number one replacement looks decent. Kavanaugh looks a promising new future product. Ridding of Osadebe was good, but still stuck with Odoar, Taylor, Smith, etc. No ambition shown because we all know our season is finished. BW says 5, nothing great, nothing bad worrying we didn't have an active list on keepers to replace Lewis and sign Walker instead because Dole says he's a great lad who happened to be released three days earlier only to sign him and find out he's cup tied in the only competition worth anything, very good point um, and Fabian says 6 out of 10 Jake Young coming back and playing games is a big plus going forward, if Tarek Wright can find the kind of form he had in the first half of last season he will be a great addition Lena and Mina, but still a huge squad, needed more out of this window. Uh, and let's move on to talk about Graham Alexander. Um, three months now since he took charge. Um, he's been in charge for 18 games in total. Eight wins, five draws and five defeats. Uh, Alex, no, sorry, let's start with Tim actually. Um, I know this might go, but Tim, <laughs> what do you think of his tenure so far? I'm really, really unconvinced. Um, I wasn't keen on the appointment in the first place. Um, I think I made it reasonably clear on the podcast that we, after the Hughes sacking, that my big thing was let's go for someone like Mike Williamson. And I'm, in fairness, I don't think he's done anywhere near the job he's done at MK here because I don't think the problems at City are just the manager. 
Um, I don't think he'd have had the structure to actually do the role that he's done at MK Dons, for example. But that was what I was saying. And my concern was, we have, in theory, built a squad around Mark Hughes' style of football and gone for, you know, progressive passing, keep it on the floor, etc. And then we've gone for the exact opposite in a manager and, you know, launch it long. And then suddenly it's, well, and now it looks rubbish. And, and suddenly, because it's the manager's new, it's like, well, the squad must be rubbish. It's like, this is the majority of a squad that got to the playoffs last season. We only lost a couple of players and we've brought right back now. Um, the core of the squad that got there is still there. And they played passing football. It was slow and ponderous at times, but it wasn't the sort of thing that Alexander's trying to play. So if we keep in them into the summer, we're going to be ripping it up and starting again. Again. And we will end up with another mix for squad of players brought in for passing football who we can't shift and players brought in for direct football and the likes of um, Poynton and Chapman will suddenly struggle because the ball will be just being launched over their heads and they'll end up sort of needing neck braces and then what next autumn potentially we go around and go well we're 15th in league two and that can't be accepted so graham alexander's going to get the sack and then we're going to start again and again and again and we had such a long recruitment process with seemingly no idea what we wanted and ended up with this it's a mess all the way through and i'm just hugely unimpressed I'm not sure whether I want to give him the summer to rebuild, but I'm not convinced we're going to make a better decision. Yeah, um, and on, on on that, Alex, I mean, we've had, in the last couple of years, we've had Derek Adams and Gary Boyer, who were pragmatic managers who failed. You go back a little bit further, you had David Hopkins and Simon Grayson, who were pragmatic, they failed. You go back even further, Peter Taylor and John Doherty in our past, they failed. Is this doomed to fail? I don't think so. They were like Stephen Inch in the top of League One. You know, they, and they play pragmatic. You can succeed on not much money playing in a good way, in playing in this way, right? It's not a. There's no right way to play football. There are there are lots of different ways. That's sort of the, the fun of it, right? That you know, you, there are lots of different ways that you can win. You just got to do it well. Um, I I don't think I don't think he's doomed to fail. I think there are positives with him. I sort of don't mind him. I think he's sort of good in the way that he talks. I thought I think he's pretty upfront and he's sort of he's pretty good at articulating what he wants to say, which is good. You know, you shouldn't, shouldn't underestimate that. I, I think Hughes is good at that as well, but I think Alexander's good. There's potential where if you get a team that has the assets that you want, and especially as you saw in the first six weeks, when they're on the front foot and they're pressing, they, they at the ball, they can be good and they can create chances and they get players in the box. And, you know, I think there are positives to the style of play. Um, I just, it, as Tim said, just, this isn't what, he hasn't got the, the people for that. And I think it just comes back to the center midfield as we've already talked about. That he just hasn't really got it there. So, and Tim's there's nothing Tim says it's wrong. I think I'm generally just a bit more optimistic that actually we'll have a competitive budget next year. He can build the squad of the, with the asset with the skill sets that he wants, and he's got Cook and he's got Young, and he's got a decent sort of set of defenders. They should be good next year if he can get the midfield right and he can get bring in a couple of good players. You know with a front three of Walker, Yuck and Cook and Young in some combination. They should be fine at this. They should be good at this if they can, if he can just get the auxiliary pieces right. So it'll need a bit of a rebuild, but it's not probably not tearing everything up because he's got so many players under contract. Um, so, you know, there is, a, I think there's a chance it goes, it goes fine next year. I think the thing for him is that he needs to work out which are the key, which are going to be key components of this squad for me next year. And, you know, I think Gilead has done really well this year. I think should be a part of that. I think Halliday's done really well this year. I think should be part of that. I think 
the defenders, you know, there's lots of we have lots of good centre central defenders, you know, that I think w w uh, we should try and keep a few of them. You know, Richards is a decent prospect, keepers all right. You know, the squad is sort of there. You just kind of want them to get a bit of confidence and try and work out, get find a light on a structure that works. So I think it can work. They just need a just need a bit of form, which I'm optimistic they can find at some point between now and May at least. Yeah, uh, and Tim, obviously one pragmatic manager I didn't mention there was Phil Parkinson and there were comparisons between Graham Alexander and Phil Parkinson when things are going well before Christmas. I do think he speaks really, really well, does Alexander, and I do think he does have that kind of statesman-like a, a way about go about him a little bit, which I think is something there to look at. And we are 18th in the league right now, but in Phil Parkinson's first season, we finished 18th. Mm -hmm. I know it's probably a bit of a stretch here, Tim, but is there a... Is there a way we can compare this to to them maybe and, and think there may be hope there with the success that Phil Parkinson had? Phil Parkinson took over a squad that were, had nearly been relegated the previous season, had not really been strengthened in the summer and was an absolute mess and took it to 18th before rebuilding. Alexander has taken over a squad that finished 6th last year and the vast majority of that squad is still there and we sacked Hughes because he was underachieving so spectacularly on a playoff push. We put, brought in Parkinson initially because we feared we were going to drop out the league. We brought in Alexander because we thought we weren't going to make the playoffs. There's not really a comparison in the strength of what they've taken over. And to say that there is, is a bit very generous <laughs> to Alexander and actually quite harsh on Phil Parkinson. Um, so, yeah, he talks a very good game. I'm just yet to see it replicated on the pitch that effectively. And, you know... I'm always big on pushing young players for, you know, get minutes in the team, develop our own players. I don't think he's doing that with points in the slightest. I think he was genuinely our best player in the first half against Notts County, for example. He got hooked for a tactical switch and then has barely had a chance since. He had, you know, he did well against Derby. He had um, a start against Colchester where he wasn't brilliant, but he was involved in the goal and just barely gets an opportunity. And when he does get an opportunity, it's going miles over his head, and it's not really his game. He's a technical link player. So, yeah, hire a manager to sort the, fit the squad we have and work out what sort of style we want to play and then hire a manager to it. Don't just hire the opposite of what we did previously because that wasn't working. I'm instinctively minded to sort of mock Tim here for his point, but he's spot on. Like that, and that's the real the, the one thing that I do think is is a real oversight is how he's treated. He's such a and I remember you saying, Jace, that it was in McDonald's first game, wasn't he, that he started pointing to get the fans on side, and it was like a no brainer, and it's actually a really good decision by McDonald. It's the opposite for Alexander, who just is like sidelining him when everyone who, with a brain can just watch and know he's good and he's talented and you can invest in him. I mean, at this point, Tim, he's out of contract, right? He doesn't have a contract for next season. We apparently do have an option on him. We apparently have yeah. options on pretty much everyone who's out of contract. But he... Except Chapman and Platt, we'd have to go up. It would sort of be a surprise to me if he was in the squad for next season. Like, if sort of, he just doesn't seem... It would be weird to keep him and just keep him like this in some sort of stasis. That even if he was under contract for next year, they'd loan him out or something just to get him somewhere where he's going to play. It just seems bizarre the way they're treating him. Um, and yeah. that they've not, and that they've not given him just had him down to a long-term contract. It's just bizarre, like like comms. If anything, it'd be such a good news story. Um, it's very curious, and I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe we're idiots. Um, you know, maybe Alexander's looked at him and said, well, "I just don't think he has it." Which you know, fair enough. That's his, his decision, right? But I, I just can't believe that that's right. I just can't believe that he's watched him and doesn't think that he's got it. Because I mean, we've all 
we've all seen it, right? I mean, he's, I think he's clearly got something. And to be yeah. sidelined like he's been, he's just mad. It's bizarre. It's I, 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 I'm like, I'm like trying my best. Right? I genuinely am more positive than Tim, and I'm not just, I'm not saying it to be to, to be different, but I am more positive, and I am more positive about Alexander. I can't defend that. I just can't. I, I've Tim spot on. It's a sort of outrageous. Like someone at the club should be saying something like this. He, like Bobby Pointer is more important to this club than Graham Alexander. Like genuinely, he could be a, like, a good player for us for five years, or he could be worth half a million quid, one or the other. Um, and that they've signed lined in to the point where he's sort of now just degrading in value, degrading in confidence, degrading like he's just that's ab- an abdication in, in, in my perception. So I, I am minded to mock Tim. Generally, my instinct is always going to be to to to, to sort of uh, make fun of Tim, but he's spot on. Yeah, he is, and it is it is a worry, isn't it? Because you know, you can, as you say, you can see his confidence getting a little bit of a hit, and it is you worry about that contract situation. And I think when we're talking about the fact the season basically we're going to have nothing to play for by March at this rate. Um, for him not to get game time between now and the season would be really Crazy. criminal, and they've got to do that. So hopefully they will do. And uh, final thing on on the on Graham Alexander, there was a quote from Ryan Sparks a couple of weeks ago, just after when the Doncaster game was called off, and just before the Salford game, uh, where he said, "Credit to Graham, who has come in and got us playing a brand of football that I think is enjoyable to watch." Tim, being generous here, do you think privately Ryan might have changed his opinion on this? Well, Ryan Sparks is a rugby man, isn't he? He's used to teams that get the ball at the back, launch it miles up the pitch and charge after it. It's basically rugby tactics, he says, from a very inexpert view, and I'm probably going to get angry comments about that one. Um, but, you know, that is attractive rugby. It's very good to watch rugby. Um, it's just not very good football. I hear Ryan Sparks has also been lobbying um, the Football League to endorse the 4020. So uh, we'll, see, we'll, see, we'll see if they bring that in as well. So help us out. That would definitely help, wouldn't it? Um, we asked a question on Twitter what people have made of Alexander so far. Um, James Pyslick says, not inspiring, but we'd need to give him time. I think his pragmatic style in time will be the way to get out of this league via promotion, not relegation, he adds. Um, Mark has said, seems mostly good, but quite inflexible with his style of play. I think it's difficult to judge him when he's working with Mark Hughes and Gents' mismash of players. Ben Wood says, it's a difficult one. It's another one where this isn't his squad, so how much can we blame him? But at the same time, you have to be flexible enough to play to the strengths of that squad, and I don't feel he is doing that very well. Nick says, I like what he says in interviews. I'm happy to give him time to get it right, but the last few games have been really hard to watch with no obvious strategy to win games other than just hit and hope. Mark says, um, I wanted to work for Graham Alexander because he's a likeable bloke, but his approach rips up the good foundations laid by Hughes. We weren't far away last year. The 180 pivot to uber pragmatism has left the squad looking weak and confused. Yet another point when that's snakes, not ladders. Uh, Aidan Flood says he was not he was high with a squad that doesn't match his t- typical system and given minimal assistance in the January window to remedy that. He's ultimately responsible for results, which aren't good enough at the moment, but he's been knowingly hired with this situation likely to arise. And then he's done an emoji of um, shrugging shoulders. And Ollie says, uh, gives off Parkinson vibes in mannerisms and playing style. Just not got the right personalities at the club yet to make it work. Um, so next thing, we did want to talk briefly about off-the-field stuff, but equally we feel like it's been done to death at this moment in time, and, there's no, and we've talked about other things already on this podcast. So we're going to go very quickly through this, um, and especially on the week where there's been a Radio Leeds feature with Ryan, Ryan Sparks and Stephen Gent and Alexander talking about and answering support questions. Not much more we can add to that. But Tim, I just wanted to ask you, um, as someone who goes to all the games at home, your kind of thoughts at the moment, because it feels very much on the match day right now, a real disconnect and a real kind of worrying atmosphere that is around the club at the moment with supporters that just feel incredibly disconnected with what's going on. And it's kind of a worrying path we're going on, isn't it? It feels. 
yeah, it's sort of the apathy that's there. Um, there's some anger and frustration, but it's quite difficult to get protests going when the bills are still being paid on time. You know, we're not reading who are getting points deduction after points deduction after points deduction and so on. But it's just apathy, you know, people deciding I'm not going to show up, I'm not going to renew, it's not worth watching. There's no atmosphere in particular because there's nothing to really get behind on the pitch. And that'll just reflect on the ownership. When you've got apathetic ownership, you get apathetic, um, an apathetic club. And yeah, I'm not convinced by the running of the club. I'm not convinced by the recruitment this season. I'm not convinced by the strategy around managers, as I think I've made pretty clear previously. And I just don't see what the plan is particularly. It feels like we just flailed around and appointed who we could. So I'm not convinced by Ryan Sparks running the club. And But it all comes from the void at the top, isn't it? It's sort of being neglected. It's benign neglect from Stefan Rupp because the club at the moment funds itself. But it doesn't take... It's, you're only a couple of seasons away from spiralling, you know? We had, what, 15,000 season ticket holders this season? Say we're rubbish for the rest of the season. Drift along to 16th place what, playing this fairly turgid football. How many season ticket holders do you think we get? 10? 11,000? Maybe another season after this, when we've sacked Alexander on a lo- and given him a lower budget because we've got fewer season tickets and the club has to be self-sustaining. And then suddenly... Instead of underperforming on a budget that's top seven, we're underperforming on a budget that's top sort of top half, and then we're drifting down again. And suddenly you can end up in sort of the Peter Tech. That's basically what happened under Taylor. And we got very close to relegation that season. And, you know, Stefan Rupp seems to be happy to keep the club sort of running in the background, not worrying about, you know, he's got his asking price, he wants his money back. If this club drifts out of the football league, how much do clubs in the conference go for? Wrexham went for two million quid, and we'd be a lit- worth a bit more than that because Wrexham didn't own their ground, had a decent fan base, etc., and not much else. We'd be basically a sort of turbocharged Wrexham in that case. And suddenly, the asset that he wants, what that he spent quite a lot of money on, to him is worth what seven or eight maybe 9 million quid, suddenly that thing's worth 3 or 4 million quid, and it won't self-sustain in the conference, because we suddenly don't have enough money to cover the stuff like the ground. So that is the big risk, and, you know, he can let everything drift if he wants, but that could cost him millions of pounds, potentially, if this club drifts any further, and we're only a couple of seasons away from spiralling like we did in the Taylor era, I think. So that's what really concerns me. So, yeah, if I've got a message to Rupp, it's seriously consider what your asking price for the club is and whether you just want to cut your losses and call it a bad investment and get most of your money back. And if you're going to stick around, seriously consider who you have running the club. Yeah, um, and and picking up some of them points there, Alex, um, we go back to when, last start of October, when we obviously sat Mark Hughes, they had a statement that came out with Ryan Sparks saying, we find ourselves a long way away from where we expect to be. Now, obviously, it goes without saying that we're not any closer out in the league position terms, but it feels like everything about the club at the moment just isn't in the place where it should be right now, and it feels like quite difficult to fix that. Yeah, I mean, there's no room for mediocrity, though, so uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're complaining about. Um, yeah, I mean, 
it, it, this season is a really it's, it, it's an interesting case study to go back on, isn't it? About sort of the the power of expectations that the the it, Tim Tim made the point to quite eloquently before that like under Hughes at the start of the season we were underperforming, uh, so they get get rid of the manager because it must be the manager. They replaced the manager, completely check ripped up the style of play, start again, and they're just right where they started. It's just literally nothing has changed. They're just still exactly where they are. All the same structures are in place. You're still exactly the same where you are. The same sort of thing. Um, the the frustration the frustration is that the thing that they're not changing the things that are going to change things. They're changing the things that perpetuate the exact the current system that they're in. You know, next season they might recruit well. Alexander might have a good run. They they could you know there's no reason there's no reason stopping them from competing next year with the sort of skeleton of the squad that they've already got. The players are there, but it's luck not design if it goes well. <laughs> you know, clearly there's no systematic process behind anything that you know they know what they're doing and they can rely on it and it's repeatable. It just is what it is, right? If it works, it's luck. If it doesn't, it's luck. You know, it's just sort of you know it's. It could go this way, could go that way. There's, I think, you know, the plans that they had this year, I think you look back at them, they sort of made sense. Just hasn't worked. It's just a bad plan. All the people who made those plans are still here. So what faith do you have that the plans are going to be better next year? I, I don't know. So, you know, maybe. Who, who knows? Right? There's nothing stopping them. There's, no, there's nothing stopping them getting promoted, right? They've, they've, they've got the players. They've got the structure. The manager's sort of fine. You know, they, they have a... They, it, it, there's no reason that it can't work. But... There was no reason it shouldn't have worked this year, and it like massively hasn't. And last year it worked because they had an all-time season, they had the best attacking season we've ever had from any player ever, and a sort of prodigy keeper. And they sort of still finished sixth, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, there's not much to give you confidence that it's going to be better, but there's also no reason why it shouldn't. So, some good decisions, bit of luck, you never know. Yeah. Um, so we asked the question on Twitter, uh, what's your advice to Stefan Rupps and, and Ryan Sparks to give you greater confidence in the future of Bradford City? Now, obviously, quite a lot of the replies were on the lines of sell up or get out of the club and that sort of stuff. So we're not going to repeat those ones because to that's a given that a lot of people feel that way. Uh, but Harry says, get Rupp to define his ambition for City and details of the strategy for achieving it. From the above, we can hopefully establish if he intends to invest financially to drive us up the leagues. If no additional finances, then it's clear he is happy for us to remain in League Two. BD6 Banter says Stefan needs to get to Bradford and back Ryan publicly and financially or cut his losses. Ryan is stuck between a rock and a hard place and he would do much better with a boss that was, was a shoulder to shoulder with him. Michael Brett says transparency, open communication and humility. More aimed at the senior leadership at the club, e.g. Sparks, since Rupp's silence is something that we've become accustomed to. For example, Rhodes was hardly an extrovert. Um, um, Aidan says acknowledge failings to give concrete examples of how they're to be remedied no platitudes no excuses acknowledge that the current operation is failing and show how that's to be turned around um, Ian Hemming says to Stefan if you want to keep the club be more involved be more ambitious publicly and take a look at the failing structure appoint a director of football and let Ryan deal with non-football areas to Ryan we need a far better communication mechanism and back off on the football side Keith Bruce says they must show positive ambition next season with serious investment and not save money with young Premier League loanies who are mostly not good enough. Prove they will really go for it by buying quality similar to what Bolton did when they were relegated to this league. Um, James says for Rupp, aim to undertake a thorough re review of our operational structure. Will the appointment of director of football to implement a football, football strategy work and take the pressure off Sparks? David Watmley says wake up and listen to the fans before mutiny sets in. 
Um, and Ben Wood says, they seem to have distanced themselves from the fan base, probably since the fan base rejected the badge change. We have to hear from Rook more. He has to be more present. Sparks needs to stop selling the uh, the BS, it says here, and be a bit more humble and engage with stakeholders and fans. Um, right, moving on to the final point and the bit that we're all here for, let's face it, the Johnny Paint Trophy. Um, it's Finally. time to talk about this. Talk about the... That's the only reason you stayed, really, isn't it, Alex? You know? <laughs> um, so, you know... Um, you know, we talked a lot about some problems at the club, but, you know, there is a positive this season, unexpectedly, that we're doing a brilliant job in the Football League Trophy. It's the first ever time we've reached the competition semi-finals. They're going to be playing against uh, struggling League One side Wickham at home later this month, live on Sky Sports as well. They are 90 minutes away from Wembley, which is just staggering when you think of what we've been talking about, really, over the last hour. Um, so, first of all, let's talk about the present, Tim. This is a good achievement, right? actually is we've played pretty well it's quite weird that we have i mean i think initially you know it helped that we beat you know grimsby under the mcdonald bounce and then did well against man city under 21s and so on and then faced a barnsley side that had already qualified so they'd for all intents and purposes given up on the tr- on actually caring about what they did next in the trophy so I played a reserve side and that got the confidence up but yeah the derby game we rotated quite heavily and it was quite weird with both derby and doncaster we rot- rotated the side quite heavily and put our good players in because they were being <laughs> left out and actually played through them are you um, sure we've not been resting people in the league, Tim? Have we clarified this? Quite possibly. <laughs> it might well be that, that, that that's clearly why Harry Chapman was subbed at half-time on Saturday, you know? Keep him fit Keep him for, for the um, 14 <laughs> days' time, yeah. yeah. Um, that That's definitely it. So Same yeah. with Cook as well, I imagine. Yeah, he's been left out. Yeah, Although he's suspended in Well, no, yeah. he's suspended. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. this is my worry for the semi-final. We've not oh, got any big strikers left. It's going to be either we're going to just hoof it at Young or going by the way we've played in the previous rounds we'll actually somehow play really good football just in this game and play a really really fluid front three that's doing a fantastic job or something yeah we're going to turn into Brazil as we've been doing all competition um yeah Alex I mean it's a weird one this competition is it because it is a bit of a love-hate affair we all have with it it's does it really matter at times and it's the priority crowds have been low for every round so far but but it's brilliant me in with this love eight. I don't want, don't want me in with this love eight. I've been banging on about the Johnny Paints being like my favourite tournament for years. It's, it's, love, love for you. It's <laughs> that they ruined it with the B teams then. That's the thing. Yeah, well, to be fair, it was that, that, that was the point where all the attendances went through the floor, right? When people when they stopped taking it seriously. And there's one B team left. Or, or did they get battered? They no, got knocked out, they right? got knocked out by Wickham, thankfully. Excellent. Otherwise, I'd be dreading the possibility of a day out at Wembley against Brighton under-21s. Yeah, Can yeah. you imagine that? That'd that would be, be awful. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they'd almost certainly beat it as well. Wouldn't they? So that's the, 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 that definitely wouldn't be fun. Johnny Payne, Johnny Payne's always a good crack. I like how they do ABBA penalties. I like how they yep. have like a... They mini... don't anymore. Oh, what? <laughs> no, they stopped that years ago. Are they going back to normal penalty process? Yeah, they've done normal penalties. Oh, that's disappointing. The mini shootout still happens. Yeah. The, the, draw, the draw penalty shootout is good fun. The, you know... Bit of a group stage, random knockout. You get a, bun- a bunch of sort of teams not taking it seriously, which allows you to be one game away from Wembley when you've been absolutely terrible all year. It's it's a, it's a great tournament, Jace. Don't let me in with the rest of them. This is good stuff. This is what I'm here for, really. I've been waiting for this for years. 
years trying to have yes. a good Johnny Payton run, and we finally got here. It's good stuff. I'm very excited. Yeah, well, on that, I mean, I'll just read out some of the Twitter things before we carry on with that. Um, we, we did put the question out in terms of what are your favourite memories of the competition over the years. Um, Mike Scott says, uh, Kai scoring a goal, obviously. Also remembering <laughs> that five of our nine penalty shootout wins in a row came in the EFL, yep. EFL trophy between 2010 and 2012. He won against Notts County. I saw Savannah entertaining a bunch of female admirers in the box just before Casper Schmeichel smashed up the changing room. That was a good one. Uh, Michael Brett says, beating Bolton in the COVID hit season early on in, in McCall's third stint and seemingly things looking rosy. Keith Bruce says... Has... That was the League Cup, wasn't Yeah, it? I think it was actually, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll lump it in there. No, it all good. counts. It's all fine. Tim. Yeah. Semantics. Uh, Keith Bruce also says, has to be Kai Brunker scoring against Oldham. It was such a consolation going a 4-1 defeat and he couldn't have been more delighted than if he hit the winner in the FA Cup final. I definitely and it was an I was there moment. Um, Ollie says, away at Burton last year, lost 4-0, but their substitutes were sponsored by Doggy Daycare. So the ooh, and we saw the substitutes coming to the touchline before a cheer went up when they announced the sponsor. God, that's a weird one, isn't it? And John F says, is... Is there any way? Is is there anyone we can't remember who the sponsor is? Johnny Paint Pizza Cup. Who knows? Sorry, John, but of course we can remember all these ones. Um, but uh, Bob says, "Easy Doncaster way in 2007, age 17. My friends and I arrived late. Spent 10 minutes running around the keep moat trying to get in. By the time we got in, we were two 0 down. Eventually losing five one. Um, Silver Band says the Barnsley match being postponed at home minutes before kickoff. Um, but BW says, surely it's one of the shootout victories of the Sheffield teams and Huddersfield. And then a few of the people have just said they've got zero interest or further comment to make on this question because they just don't care. But obviously we do. So, yeah, well, no, I mean, we what are your favourite? We don't, want that. we don't want their custom, Jase. They're, they're, they're they're, 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 <laughs> they, they switched off long ago. They switched off long ago, don't <laughs> worry. This is just for the diehard people who love the Johnny Payne Trophy who are still with us now. So thank you for staying with us. Uh, yeah, so what are your favourite memories over the years of, of this great competition? No. No one mentioned mine. I'm very excited no one's mentioned mine. My favourite Johnny Payton memory. So it was uh, 2011, I think. Oldham away in the... Nor- I think it was a Northern semi-final, which is a new money regular quarterfinal, I guess. So the round yeah. before where we got to now, which was, firstly, it was a Wednesday night in December or something. It's the coldest I've ever been. I've never been as mm. cold. That is the Oldham when they had three sides... Middle of December, freezing. It's the coldest I've ever been in my entire life, which I'll, I'll never forget it. And then we lost 2-0 and it was pretty pitiful. But the one thing that happened in that game was it was the first time ever Hanson and Wells started together. It was the generation, the, the sort of uh, ground zero of the Hanson and Wells partnership, which is always always something I've looked back on. We were, the thing, the sort of big Naki Wells moment was a couple of weeks before he did that, that goal against Rochdale, which is still sort of like my favourite ever City goal in the in the cup in the FA Cup I guess or League Cup, which FA probably Cup the FA, was, yeah. FA yeah. Cup first round. Yeah. That the that was the a couple of weeks before, and he came on a couple of sub appearances, and then he started Wells and Hanson in this Ox- Olden game which we lost. Um, but then immediately following this, I think it was Parkinson started playing them both, and we went on a three game winning streak over Christmas over the next three weeks where they got like five between them, and it all started at Oldham away. There weren't many of us there. And some of us got frostbite and some of us never came again because it was so cold. But the ones that were there, we remember that. We, we were there for the beginning of Wells and Hanson. That is my, definitely my favourite. And as uh, someone was saying earlier, I forget who it was on the messages, that the that was the start of all these penalty runs, right? Where yes. we had the Johnny Paint, um, the pe- penalty runs there. We had the FA Cup game against Watford. We had the, was it Wednesday we beat on penalties? We beat Huddersfield yes. on penalties. This cup prowess began. The the came to fruition the following year. Began in early 2011, 12. Yeah, 
with a, absolutely with a, lo- a loss in the freezing cold at Oldham. So that is definitely my favourite Johnny Payne memory. Got to say, I don't really have a second favourite memory because that was the only one I could think of. So that's why I dived in first. <laughs> Tim said it because I don't have anything else. Tim, do you have anything else? Well, the penalty shootout run actually started a couple of years sooner. It was Simon Eastwood's only redeeming quality as a goalkeeper for us was saving penalties. And so we beat, I think, Notts County and Port Vale yep. in that season. It was McCall's last season. And beating Notts was quite fun because they'd hammered us in the league um, on the opening day. And Kasper Schmeichel um, missed a penalty and apparently went and kicked in a dressing room door or something afterwards. Uh, he wasn't usually impressed. There was a very small pitch invasion um, from a fairly small crowd. So that was quite fun. And we got to the area um, semi-final that year as well, I think. That was one of the years. But yeah, I have quite fond memories of the following season just because of the... Um, it was um, Sheffield Wednesday where they subbed their goalkeeper off after two minutes. Of course, because um, you had the, the you Doyle manoeuvre, right? Yeah, um, and you know which goalkeeper they brought on? Can't Richard remember. O'Donnell. Oh wow! Really? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and we beat. We were the better side then, and it was the second Colin Cooper game. Parkinson was ready to take over, and we beat them on penalties, and then. Huddersfield, where Niall Rodney had a thankless task up front, and yet we somehow held them to a draw and beat them on penalties. And then Sheffield United. Sheffield United was a good game, actually. And one of the best shootout displays I've ever seen from a keeper, in from John McLaughlin. And he, he went the right way for pretty much every penalty. It's just they kept burying them in the bottom corner. And if they didn't hit the bottom corner, he saved it. And we went through. You reminded me, reminded me, Tim, of one of my favourite uh, ever sort of Tuesday evenings where I think, Jace, you were there. We went to Silsden away. You remember that? You know, that yes. pre-season friendly that year. And I thought yeah. Niall Rodney was the one man. I was so, like, Naki Wells was also <laughs> there, who I didn't pick. But Niall Rodney, I was like, this guy, this guy's got it. This I think that might be... have been at the same game. Yes. <laughs> and I think I distinctly remember thinking, looking at Rodney and going, yeah, he's quick, but he has just moved himself onto his right foot to score an open goal that was much easier with his left. And thinking, I'm not convinced. <laughs> yeah, he was That's quick. Even with him scoring a goal, he was very, very quick. Um, not much else. Although I think he did score against us in one of our infamous Johnny Paint games where we got battered by Hartlepool. That's right, he uh, did, yeah. We lost 5-0, yeah. He did, yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, the other one that sticks out is being at the uh, game where we we subbed Colin Doyle after two minutes and eventually got fined for it, um, which it was within the rules. We shouldn't have got fined, and I will you know, die on that hill. But I can just remember trying to lead the standing ovation from the very small crowd <laughs> of uh, Doyle and then being really disappointed when he didn't get player of the match. <laughs> yes, that's a good one as well, isn't it? I think another one for me that stands out, we talk about from players, obviously the great thing about this competition is you get players who suddenly burst onto the scene and do really well and, and that's their springboard. And you also get players who doesn't go quite as well and they I remember the 2012-13 season obviously remember for many more fun reasons than than the Johnny Paintry run that year but we did reach the quarterfinals which is long forgotten I think and we played crew in uh, January lost 4-1 and it was Andy Gray just returned to the club and he played up front then I think it was his first start and there was a moment quite early doors where he was played through one-on-one against the goalkeeper no defender anywhere near him and we were thinking, oh, here we go, he's going to score. And he was so slow that all the defenders somehow caught up with him and got the ball off him before he could get the shot away. And at that point, then you thought, oh dear, what have we done re-signing Andy Gray? In terms of players who did well in the Johnny Paint, though, Joe Brown, who had a fairly nondescript, you know, flash-in-the-pan breakout career with us, that Blackpool goal aside, he turned into prime Ronaldo in that competition. Three yes. goals in three. Absolutely. Um, and... 
One that actually do I do remember. Sorry, um, one that I do remember is that he scored against Scunthorpe in the in that competition in two thousand six seven, and we played Scunthorpe in this cup, and then we played them the following weekend. And Colin Dodd came in out after the game, really annoyed that Scunthorpe had rested too many players in the first game, so we're going to be fresh for the weekend. Not realizing that it made him look awful because we just got battered by Scunthorpe's <laughs> reserve while playing a relatively strong team. <laughs> they won the league that season and we got relegated. <laughs> Not good. Cool. Well, although on that note, um, I think that's that's us celebrating the Johnny Payne Trophy and uh, we've got a big game coming up to look forward to. And that is something genuine in the season where hasn't obviously gone to plan. That I Personally, I'm quite excited about that game. I think it should be really good. So fingers crossed. And who knows, next podcast we'll be talking about going to Wembley and the trip and looking forward to it so you never know do you um, but anyway that's all we've got time for thank you so much for listening thank you so much for your tweets thank you so much for your support as ever we will be back with another podcast very soon my big thanks go to Tim and to Alex and uh, we will see you soon